0: Specialist to find out if it's right for you. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Welcome to the Buker and Friends Podcast, co-starring 10-year NBA center Ryan
1: Hollins. <laughs> Collins sent
0: that into the third row. Six rebounds and eight assists.
1: Oh, Collins, Collins! climbs The stairs! Down the floor. Brian oh. Oh. He is the high jumper! That's what I want to see. Give me some gunpowder and throw the hammer down.
0: And now, here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Bucher. Rick Bucher.
2: Welcome to another edition of Buker & Hollins, subsidiary of Buker & Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can follow me on Twitter, at Rick Buker, and on Instagram, at Rick underscore Buker. You can also find me on radio.com uh, and intercom uh, as an insider. He is Ryan Hollins. You can see him in a variety of places. You can follow him on Twitter. At the Ryan Hollins and on Instagram simply at Ryan Hollins all right Ryan I'm, I'm, I only say this because in the last podcast started off had Derek Rose as my guest and we were talking about being in Indianapolis at the Conrad Hotel uh, that was that's the that was the hotel that the Pistons were staying at and I think it's the first time that I've stayed there in Indianapolis. A lot of times I won't even stay in Indianapolis because my, my parents live in Cincinnati so a lot of times I'll just drive over. Drive back, or if I do, I stay. There's like a I don't know, a Weston and a Hyatt, I think, that face each other uh in downtown Indianapolis. And I generally stayed at one or the other. Conrad was a very, very nice hotel. And you obviously have the mall downtown. Uh makes it convenient. I was just wondering for from, from all your travels, was there a hotel we were like, yes. We're we got a trip, and this is one of the stops that that it was. It was one of your favorites.
1: I'll say New York, New York. Maybe it's not like an easy giveaway, but where'd I, you stay? Four Seasons. We're, we're at the Four Seasons. Don't ask me why. Maybe just because, like, I like I came from nothing. I didn't have these things, but like when I see like the motorized shades, <laughs> I feel like that's so above me. Yeah, and I'm like, yo, motorized shades. Like, I press this button. You know, they have like a little tablet type of feature. The shades motorize and go down. Wait. I'm like, I don't belong here. Like, <laughs> like that's how I feel. Like, whoa, like I'm looking around. I don't belong here. See, motorized you, shades.
2: It's funny you say that. Um, and and the motorized shades. So you have the one that just gives you kind of. You got the shade that just dims the room or makes it so people can't look in, and then you have the complete.
0: Blackout, the blackout Blackout. shade that you can
2: drop. So you got both, right? Uh, The reason we came on this is because I I don't know about you, and I think this is kind of my upbringing too. I have the hardest time ordering room service. I have the hardest time paying for the surcharge of, first of all, everything's like 25% higher. And then you're paying like a 30% tip or whatever it is, automatic 30% tip. It just—I don't know what it is. I like—I'll go and get something and bring it back to the room and eat. But and and maybe some of it's too—is when I want to eat, I want to eat, and I don't like the idea of having to wait like thirty minutes to get whatever it is or not knowing when it's going to show up. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like I can't afford it. It's just—I just don't like—I don't like doing it now. When it comes to. I got to say probably the thing for me in a hotel room that puts it over the top is when you've got the tub with the jets, when you've got your own jacuzzi mm. in your room. That's, that's a deal. That's when you're living. That's what, that's when I feel like even if I don't need the jacuzzi, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to try it out just because I can
1: See, I couldn't fit in the, I can never fit in the jacuzzi. I don't know if you feel way about this. Ah. When you see the showers. Yes. Where like, this turns it on. Yes. This is hot and cold. Yes. And they're two different. Like, yes. like, oh, you want it out the side? Yeah. <laughs> that, when I saw the hot and cold, like, like, whoa, I, like, took me like, you'd have been laughing, dude. there's a fly on the wall, like, first twenty minutes, to it like, out. how do I turn the shower yeah. on?
2: What? Well, or the best is when it comes out like various jets and various you can't nozzles, tell which one it and is. you don't know which is which. And the first time you're trying it out, you're getting like, yeah, that's that's it, like a Three Stooges. Uh, we we
1: stayed in we stayed in China there's like the tub it looked like a jet like a jet ship I, like like space jet looked like the little, the little bubble that uh an open bubble that superman got sent to america and it sent it <laughs> sent to the world and man it looked like that
2: so this the conrad hotel the thing, this is the first time i've seen this kind of uh shower head which was it was a like a lever that you could raise or lower and it had two shower heads. So you could either have two and you could raise or lower the height of it to the point where easily D, like you could put it up probably eight feet high, put it very up comfortably for a seven footer. But then if you were like five, five, you could drop it down. And and that's the first time I've ever seen one that was that flexible. I thought that was, that was ingenious. Might the big thing with hotels is what's the convenience of the hotel to the arena to getting something to eat and working out if you give me all of those and I don't have to like get in a car or an Uber or whatever i'm I'm golden I'm a happy dude I'm trying to think what would be the best
1: city in the sense of you don't have to go anywhere to go out like you know we stay in miami we're a little bit off we're not right there where would i new york everything's kind of there but it's kind of low-key far
2: see like salt lake city's good but the solid but the it's solid the restaurants aren't great but the convenience is good portland is good for the most part you got it you still got to get in into you still need transportation to the arena, but it's usually you're downtown, it's probably ten, fifteen minutes.
1: I mean staples, I'm when the when the teams come Oh now, at LA
2: Live now? You're right. See
1: when yep. we used to stay we've stayed over in the marina. Yep. And we'd stayed over off of Wilshire. What's that uh is that the Beverly Hilton no, or Beverly whatever off the Wilshire. Yeah. Yes. Either way, those two places, yeah, you were a little further up, but now when you're over at LA Live, you can't. Like you're I'm, there. Yeah, you're there, yeah. And, and all the teams now stay. But the, the coach used to have a preference of, hey, where do you want to go? Right. Because you're in the marina, you can hit that 105 and make it to Staples and you know okay time. But now when you're you're there, there's no excuse. Right.
2: Yeah, I remember. I remember there were even times where we stayed like at the Lowe's in Santa Monica.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was Lowe's, like on the beat. There. Teams with yeah teams or or with ESPN we'd stay. We'd stay on the beach so in remember, Santa Monica.
1: I, as far as changing, I never did that. Byron Scott, we go to Orlando. He'd always find like a there's like a golf course where you go stay at a little out the way, but yeah. Kid, Byron Scott, um, who else? All, all those a couple of those guys were like they're like big golfers. Like right. you know, like our clubs are coming on the trip. There's someone else I'm trying to think about.
2: Terry Porter. Terry, Terry Porter was a pickoff.
1: I, I was never coached by Terry. Um, yeah. He's definitely one, but there's a, there's a couple of those, you know, avid season golfers. For sure,
2: raises some questions, but we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave that for another podcast. Uh, all right, so uh, a number of things I want to get to. Obviously the the big story that keeps resonating around the league is uh, is the whole load management topic going off of Kawhi Leonard, which. To me, Kawhi Leonard should not be the leading uh, subject of this topic because for, and I forget who said it, Kawhi Leonard won a chance. Oh, it was um, Derek Rose mentioned it in the last podcast. Kawhi Leonard won a championship load managing last year. Whatever he wants to do with the Clippers, whatever he did last year, dude, do it again. If you're there for us at the end, and part of this is nobody knows exactly what's going on with, with, with Kawhi and his his physical health and well, the, what's going on the, with his
1: knee, the report said that it was a patella injury, um, which was very vague—patella soreness or whatever it may be. It was very vague, though.
2: Yeah. So, and and part of it too is like the Clippers were saying he's not on a minutes restriction. So, that kind of led people to believe, oh, well, then he's not going to miss any time, which, you know, we can go back and forth on this if he's not he may not be on a a minutes restriction when he plays but we're not going to play him every game we're not going to play him in back-to-backs and if I'm not mistaken LeBron James is not playing in back-to-backs either for all the talk and everybody going and LeBron saying hey if I'm healthy I'm going to play now I I gotta go back and double check but somebody said to me he hasn't played in back-to-backs and that's where I I gotta you know again this is what this is what I struggle with when it comes to LeBron, and people immediately paint you as a as a hater when you bring this up. But it's disingenuous to say that he's not worried about load management, and at the same time, he's not playing in back to backs. And I'm looking this up now because I may have to take all this back. Uh, he has played in nine games, so I take it back. They've played nine games. He's played nine games. However, they have yet to have a (laughs) back-to-back. So that's that's what it is. Let's see what happens when they have a back-to-back, which they have coming up. They're going to play the Phoenix Suns at in Phoenix Tuesday night, and then they play. Well, they play Golden State Wednesday night uh, at home. And I would imagine he could play I certainly play the the back the end of that back to back and not be and not be stressed uh, so we'll see we'll see how it goes um and I, I mean I always I, I, let me, tell me if I'm being unfair here. I've always felt that LeBron has found ways to load manage within the game like he may be playing, but he picks his spots in terms of how hard he's playing. And the proof of that is the way he's played at the beginning of this year. People are like, oh, look at that. Look what he's doing at both ends. He hadn't done that for a while.
1: It's interesting you said that. I wanna I want you to chime in on this and I wanna dissect, put Kawhi in this this goat conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. we're we're talking kind of the goats of the wings. He's he's fairly put into this now after what he did last year. Cause this is the comps. We're not comparing him. To Paul George, we're not comparing what he did last year to Kristaps Porzingis. We're not comparing him to, to, to Trey Young, you know, Kevin Durant. We're not. We're comparing him to the goats. So let's do this. Okay. Let's do this. We as you as you brought up LeBron. So let's name let's name let's put the four out. Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kawhi Leonard. Michael Jordan played in a league at a 80 to 90 point per game pace. Right. Shut the heck up if you want to talk about load managing because I don't want to say anybody, I don't want to be disrespectful. When you play at a 90 point per game pace, you can play defense. You can be a two-way player. Okay, I'm going to... You can do a a lot of things, Rick.
2: I've I've always agreed with you on this, and I just had a conversation... And let me just take a look. I'm not going to use his name. He's an executive now. He played in the league. Let me see when he last played in the league. Because he wholeheartedly, vehemently, okay, so he last played in 2008, 2009. He vehemently disagrees with the idea that the game is more taxing today because there are more possessions. Uh, and people are playing at a quicker pace. His position is when you had to wrestle for position, when you had to when you could be physical, and then you had to run the floor and you weren't running from three point line to three point line. His thing is the numbers and the scoring, all of that is inflated. But you're not having to run the floor the same way, the same distance, time and time again. There's a lot of possessions where it's somebody stopping at the three-point line, jacking a shot, and we're coming back the other way. And I've, I've, and, and this is, you know, this goes to the heart of like, why are we seeing more injuries than we've ever had before? It it, it lends to the idea that because the game is more taxing. Uh, And I don't know where I stand now, but I I stand somewhere between you making the point that, and you and John Hollinger, because I think he wrote a piece and this executive former player was like ticked off at the piece. He's like, the game is not more taxing today. He was vehement about it. And I feel as if you're the opposite side, you're on the opposite side of it.
1: See, see, I, I, I fall into that sweet spot. From around 2006, when I was drafted, hmm. the power forward and center still existed. You had the slow plotting centers. Mm-hmm. I was too bone skinny to play in the NBA. All I heard is I wasn't strong enough. It wasn't skilled. It wasn't three-point shooting. It wasn't running. The, he is not strong enough, hmm. okay, which is obsolete now
2: hmm.
1: to the era of Golden State where you were one center on the floor If that, right. and you were switching screens, and, and he might doing be 6'9". That. 2 back to play back to back, running up and down. Yeah, it doesn't even compare, and and it's even rare in that where yes, it is tiring, wrestling with the guy possession after possession, but there is a level of footwork where I just can't put my hands on you and lean on you. Then I have to sprint. Mm-hmm. That makes today. It's twice. To play at a 120-point pace versus an 80-point pace is night and day. You, like, dude, there are a couple guys, and you f- feel free to call out names if you want, Rick, mm. that played with bellies. They had bellies, okay? <laughs> In the NBA, <laughs> bellies, bad build. Just, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, And it, fought, it worked. Mm. It worked. Okay. Now, let me dive into my second culprit, okay? <laughs> second culprit. Kobe Bryant. Now, Kobe Bryant played hard as heck. No one questions that. But later in Kobe Bryant's career, I would not even say just that much later. I would say in his mid thirties, the where I I personally saw Kobe Bryant competed against them. Kobe would guard the worst defender. The, excuse me, the worst guy on offense. And Kobe would not guard. When we played him when we beat the. Then we popped the Lakers by like forty. Kobe was guarding Matt, and Kobe would do like this. He would almost be like the coach on the floor. He would roam. He would just. There was this effect of him just being Kobe Bryant, and it was like he would even clap at guys getting wide open shots because at that point in the NBA. All five guys didn't get to shoot. You yeah. had two guys gunned and maybe a, a hot shot off the bench. Right. That was the offense, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe get something out of transition. That's the what we were taught. Hey man, play defense, play your role. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at slash post. Oh, so he would guard Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes would get a wide open shot. Kobe would (laughs) (laughs) clap. Like, shoot it. You know, Matt hit a few <laughs> shots, You beat him pay, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. He would guard the worst guy. Yeah. He would well, go, guard the worst guy, and then he would gun and out. And let me throw this in, Rick. Kobe Bryant load managed his last couple of years. Oh, sure. There's no question of For that. Sure. But Kobe Bryant also hasn't had a major or nagging injury to the extent of Kawhi Leonard. Right. A knee versus, and I heard Stephen A. throw this out, and Kobe shouted out that, you know, I had back spasm, that I had to play against Vince Carter. Back spasms are different than chondromalacia in the knee or a quad not firing And then un... Uh, I would almost say the only way that you can diagnose Kawhi's knee is fatigue. When, you, when he fatigues to a certain extent, you see his quad literally not fire and he drags it. Hmm. I can't push myself to that extent. Kobe did not have that deal. Now, if this was just a, a sore back, a sore shoulder, Kawhi Leonard would play through that. Would, would you not agree?
2: i would think so yeah it's uh the but back to the 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 uh the aspect of the pace and physicality of the game you know then and now like i if you want to take that with certain guys i'll give you that michael jordan and the way he played and the load that he carried and the intensity with he, with which he played Every minute that he was on the floor. I'm not giving you the pace altered how he played. That dude played hard and he was trying to eat your lunch every single game. Every single minute. I will not. I will not hear. I will not.
1: Hold on. When, when, all right, let me, when Carl Malone was getting post-ups, what was Michael doing on defense? uh, But he was guarding Jeff Hornacek. And doing what? It's for the possession.
2: Well, he would, he would follow him. He would. I mean, he'd stay so, with him. So pretty. You had two so he was he standing. No, understood, But what? shoot, Le, LeBron does the same thing. LeBron doesn't take the best. Doesn't we take even the even toughest got to LeBron
1: assignment to You want? You want to hop on LeBron? We can hop on LeBron because he's his next culprit.
2: Yeah. Well, I know that's what I mean. I, but but I think there are a number of players depending on the the offensive load that they have to carry. Let me basketball nerd. They do is. get the 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 least uh, challenging offensive guy. To have yeah, to let me
1: let me let me basketball nerd this as we bring up Michael Jordan, who would step up and you could guard another player 94 feet because you had rest. So essentially, now when you guard the pick and roll, what makes it so appealing? Why are there over 100 possessions per game of pick and roll run? Because the movement in that it causes, and you can pick out certain defenders. And as a guy, a, a big man rolls to the lane, the weak side defender now has to shift over, tag the roll, and close out. 20 some odd plus feet to a dead-eye three-point shooter, run him off the line, and if he's worth it, darn, get back in the play and rebound. So now there's a stress on five guys who have to be in the proper position. Be in the proper position versus versus just standing. Listen, back in the day when we would play, a guy has a post-up. It's the worst shot in basketball, the worst playing basketball. Why? You have four other defenders that stand. And now, right. what happens? Your legs are fresh for offense, sure, dude. And I'll, I'll give you an analogy. I'll give you an analogy that, that 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 will drive this home. This was the last year of the triangle offense run in New York, right? Right. And remember, the Lakers would do it after playing, and as the five, I'd have to guard over a hundred seventy pick and rolls a game, where I'm playing essentially playing a guard one on one, recover to my guy, box my guy out, now run the floor. We played the New York Knicks. I'm guarding Brooke Lopez. And all I had to do is they ran the triangles, just sit in the paint and just tag Brooke Lopez and box him out. And when I tell you I had so much energy for offense, it was like I shot out of a cannon. If you never have to work defensively, which in the triangle offense you don't. There's one guy, you hit the elbow, the guy in the pinch post series is going to have to chase like hell over the screen And fight back around. The rest of the guys are over there chilling, bro. Now you
2: are you talking? You're talking. If you're talking Brooke Lopez, you're talking Nets, not Knicks.
1: No, Robin, Robin. Then thank you. Forgive me, listeners. Forgive me. I messed their names up. So Robin, yeah. But I'm saying nonetheless, two different eras of basketball where you could rest. You're going to rest off the ball versus being in a perfect positioning pick and roll, and not to mention. As, I, as, a te- as a team is running pick and roll on the weak side with the floor spread, you know what happens? Either I'm seeing and I am my guy, ball you man, or I'm getting back door cut because I'm getting spread out so far that I've got to tag my times and my help versus being able to just send the paint. Yeah. Versus just send the paint and chill, which is Michael Jordan's era and a little bit of Kobe Bryant's, but the pace finally sped up.
2: Yeah, but here's the difference too between that era and this one the offense's run were far more half-court offenses, were far more, I don't want to say complicated, but today's are simple. It is all pick and roll. It wasn't as much then. There was a lot of cutting and and movement off the ball. You ran actual plays, and you don't now. You run basic pick and roll in different dribble handoff, pick and roll. Looking for an edge to turn a corner and get a big or get a guy in a a tough position where help has to come. That's the whole premise of today's game. And I feel as if, and it's one of the lost arts, I believe. I believe players are far more individually skilled today than they've ever been. True, but the team skills in terms of how you operate in the half court, I believe a lot of that is lost. the The nuances of passing in the half court, cutting in the half court, footwork in the half court, losing a guy, setting a screen. I mean, it's it's I, that's the part that I, that's amazing to me. Just as an aside, not to go down another rabbit hole, but like the screening today. <laughs> It's all over the place. Like, I don't know how you call. I don't know what a legal and an illegal screen is other than you can't, like if you move in a certain direction and run into the guy, it's an illegal screen. But the 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 amount of movement, the amount of like sticking out a hip, feet wider than your shoulders, like I, I don't know what the rules are anymore when it comes to, when it, when it comes to, to screen setting. But it seems like it's a free-for-all. You can pretty much – you can get away with almost anything when you're setting a screen.
1: Well, I'll tell you, like back in the day, I used to go – I used to tag guys. I used to tag them, but I was also drilled by coach.
2: What do you mean tag them? On what? On a, on a pick-and-roll? Oh,
1: and roll? man, a pick a roll or a pin down. I would oh, come down. I, I'd just oh, my hammer. knee, yeah, my yeah, yeah, shoulder, yeah. my elbow. Gotcha. I, I could tag guys. Yep. And now the towards the end of my you couldn't get a, you couldn't quite get away with that now hmm. you have to let that defender get around now certain games depending on the field you can kind of get you can kind of get away with it but you can tag guys and if you notice a lot of the fives are picking up the European style which I picked up later on of screening and what I mean by that I'm screening to get a roll see this is different let me let me give this to you simple simplicity right back in the day when I set a screen it was to get a I shot open set a, to get it to get the guy open, yep, right. So it just I just screened as a dummy to, to go rebound, essentially, right. Right? right. Towards the end of my career, these bigs now they screen to get a shot. So the logic mathematical uh, assessment here is that when I go screen, and once that guy trails over the top, well, excuse me, Rick, my alarm is going off for us to do our podcast, apparently. Um, I would set a screen and I would dive. As soon as that guy redirects his motion, yeah. I would dive. The guard would be behind me. Now you're looking for a slip where you used to get cussed the heck out for pulling out of a screen. Uh, really? You used to get ripped. Well, for unless it was, a a,
2: unless it was a design slip screen.
1: Unless it was a, de- yeah, absolutely. Cause there was
2: the, there were those where you'd come up and you dummy it and then you, and then you'd take off mm-hmm. depending on who the guy was. All right. Um, the uh, one of the other subjects that's been hot, I was I was part of it is uh, Steph Curry with a broken hand, and this is so for those who know at least some of the story, I did I wrote a piece about players wanting uh, revenge against the Warriors and specifically wanting revenge against Draymond and Steph. Because they did the most celebrating, shimmying, flexing, whatever, let you feel the fact that they were on top for five years. And so mm-hmm. I talked to guys around the league on and off the record, uh, or for attribution, not for attribution, uh, about, about that. And they were because I, I just I looked at it and I and I saw how teams came out at the beginning when Steph and Dre were out there. And then when they got hurt, there was just there was a different vibe. It was like, who cares? Of course you're supposed to beat the Warriors and you're supposed to beat the stuffings out of them but none of the guys are out there anymore. So what's, are you really beating the warriors? And it was like, in talking to guys, they were like, no, uh, we, we wanted to play against Steph and Dre. Now that the tables are, are, are level now that they don't have Kevin Durant. Like you're not as good as maybe as you thought you were like now, now we have a chance and we want to make you feel that. So they were disappointed when Steph broke his hand and Dre, uh, and Dre's had a, a an array of of injuries that he's been dealing with, so he's missed time. But in that story, because I happen to talk to somebody who is one familiar with everything that that Steph has gone through the last five years. Two is very intimate with the the surgery that he had on his hand and the broken what sounds like bones plural, and the severity of it. Which is far greater than the Warriors have ever intimated. Three months tells you that it's mm, I worse. I heard that
1: story before, right? Yes, yes. Warriors not disclosing the injury.
2: Yes. Uh, so more severe, and and he wants to play in the Olympics this summer. So I happened to be talking to somebody who knew all that, and they said, "I I, I don't think he's you know I don't think he's going to play this year." And I was like, I was kind of surprised, and then I thought about it. And it was like, look, all the stress that he's put on his body over the last five years, the injury that he has, the fact that he wants to play in the Olympics in the summer, it doesn't make any sense. And so I was looking at it and I was thinking, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. So I dropped it in to the story. It was originally low in the story because it wasn't the the focus of the story. I didn't go into all the details that I just gave. I just said, source says that it's unlikely that he's going to play this season. That became the thing that became the topic to the point where I believe, I don't know this for a fact, like there's no other reason for the warriors to trot out Steph to do a press conference at this stage, unless it's to refute (laughs) what I had in my story, which that he's not likely to play. And so he said, yeah, you know, he expects to play this season and, but if you if you really listen to everything that he said and what's going on, he's got to have another surgery in December, uh, and he said he he plan- he hopes to come back early spring and play. Early spring is spring is basically March nineteenth twentieth. That leaves what three weeks, maybe a month left in the season. Maybe right. That's maybe that's best case scenario. Can. Why, why, let's say it's a week or two later. April 1, he's back. Is there a point in him playing in the final two weeks of the season? Especially if the Warriors have one of the worst records and are lottery bound? What, please tell me, tell me what value there would be in Steph coming back to play those last two weeks other than to defy my source, who said that it's not likely that he plays.
1: Yeah, that was ridiculous. Like, let, let, and let's go a step further. Like, Clay Thompson can play this season,
2: right? And and Clay Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr said that that he was not going to play, and, and that became a big thing. And then Steve had to walk it back. Now you can't tell me that this isn't coming from management aka ownership, that they're in the new building and they want to keep, I don't know, like, I, and I'm not even sure what it is that they're seeking to do because the tickets have to be sold. The building is a, you weren't going to be good this year. If you thought you were going to be good, then we got other issues. So why does Steve Kerr have to walk that back? And why do you have to trot Steph Curry out there to say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to play this season when at most you're playing, I don't know, a a couple of weeks? As opposed to you give that, that hand another month plus, maybe two, three months actually. Now you come back with the national team, you get back in your rhythm, you get back into game shape, and now you're ready to go into training camp and start afresh next season. What doesn't that make all the sense in the world? As opposed to, I'm going to play a couple of weeks at the end of the season for an also ran team, and then what? And the risk involved if you got pins and play. You don't
1: know why they went out. You know why they went out to say it. Why? You want to know why they they marched Steph Curry out there. I think this. I don't know if this went over your head. You know why they march him out there? Hmm. You're sitting in a brand new arena. You you don't got one player eligible. You don't got one player from last year there. You gotta you gotta give hope to the fans. You you gotta you know he might come back and play just to give these season ticket holders something. Just to give these season ticket holders something. But it's gonna be play. last two. Come back it's gonna play. be
2: the last two three weeks of the season. That's all. What I hope is that?
1: that they're They're losing a lot of dough, brother. They're trying to salvage I some guess, of that money and give I some guess,
2: hope. I guess. It just, the whole thing. I, uh, first of all, I didn't say definitively he's not going to play. I said it's not likely. I still think it's not likely. <laughs> I, think, I think it's, there's just so many questions about the injury that I have. I mean, I've heard it involves the wrist, it's the hand. Uh, yes, it's his left hand, but still ambidextrous dude anyway we'll continue to monitor that uh we we still have some other subjects that uh, we'll we'll save for another day uh but that does it for this episode of buker and hollands uh don't forget please rate the show let us know how we're doing what you like you don't like and if you screenshot that and send it to at buker friends and you'll be eligible to win your choice either a an edition of my book with Yao or Yao Ming that is give you an idea of the NBA culture versus China or uh, Derek Rose's new uh, biography that he did with Sam Smith. Your choice. And I'll even an effort to get that thing autographed whichever one you choose. So uh, that does it. In the next podcast, I will be joined by our man Will Blackman. We'll get into The Seahawks, certainly the Seahawks, and their big win over the 49ers, among other subjects across the league. All right, that does it for Ryan, for myself, as always.